0: Before we get started, we want to let you know that AHR Interview is available to stream and subscribe to on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. To find us, use the search term American Historical Association. Welcome to AHR Interview, a production of the American Historical Review. I'm Daniel Storey. It's likely that by now you've heard about the devastating fire that engulfed Brazil's Museo Nacional in September 2018. There was no loss of life, but nearly all of the museum's rich collections were destroyed. One of the late-breaking sessions at this year's AHA Annual Meeting dealt with this terrible event, together with its causes and implications for future archival preservation. The session's title was Archives Burning, the Fire at the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro and Beyond. We had the privilege of sitting down with three of the participants just after the panel concluded. Natalia sobravia Peria is professor of Latin American history at the University of Kent. She is the author of the book, The Cadillo of the Andes, Andreas de Santa Cruz, which was published in English by Cambridge University Press in 2011, and in Spanish by the Instituto de Estudios Peruanos in 2015. Seth Garfield is professor of history at the University of Texas at Austin. He is the author of the 2001 book, Indigenous Struggles at the Heart of Brazil, State Policy, Frontier Expansion, and the Javente Indians, 1937-1988, and the 2013, In Search of the Amazon, Brazil, the United States, and the Nature of a Region, both published by Duke University Press. Maritza de Carvalho Suárez recently retired from her position as Associate Professor of History at the Universidade Federal Fluminense in Rio de Janeiro. More recently, she has served as the curator of the African Collection at the Museo Nacional. She is also the author of the book, People of Faith, Slavery and African Catholics in 18th Century Rio de Janeiro, published in English in 2011 by Duke University Press. The panel also included Kristen Weld from Harvard University and the session chair Bianca Primo from Florida International University. Natalia, Seth, and Maritza spoke with AHR editor Alex Lichtenstein.
1: All right, so the panel that we just uh, attended at the AHA a few minutes ago was about the the destruction of the burning down of the Museo Nacional in Rio de Janeiro, and uh, one of the panelists, not not here, but said that the neglect of the museum and similar archival um, patrimonies is a signal example of state abdicating of a state abdicating a core obligation to its citizens, not just for antiquarian reasons, about sort of preserving little bits and pieces of the past, but really an obligation to democratic uh, nationhood, uh, which I thought was a very interesting, interesting set of remarks. So I guess I want to ask each of you, Seth, Moritz, and Natalia, um, mm. what that obligation that a state, particularly in Latin America, but in general, might have to its citizenship. What is that obligation both to preserving the past and to thinking about the future. And the loss of this particular resource, how does that impact the preserving of the past and the thinking about the future in this case? I'd be curious, each of you, what kind of perspective you could offer on that. Maritza, someone who's spent much of her life in this museum, perhaps you could could address that. What is the loss? What part of the past is somehow disappearing? Mm -hmm. What does the future hold for this?
2: Well... Thinking about museums in Brazil, I will focus on the Brazilian situation, uh, we had a, a time period where many museums were created as a result of a, a, a state policy. But the National Museum is earlier than all other museums because it was created 1818 during the, the, the monarchy when the the King of Portugal moved to Brazil fleeing from Napoleon in eighteen o eight so ten years later he created the the, the national the, the, the Rio Museum at the time and then later became called national museum but during the the period of the the, the Portuguese monarchy and then later in the imperial, imperial imperial time in Brazil after independence the the museum was a, a, a kind of Part of the duty of the royal family, because it was created by the king of Portugal. So uh, the people were putting together different kinds of collections, and it was part of the aristocracy, you know, uh, practice, so social practices, and also when they begin receiving voyagers and and, and naturalists uh, from Europe. And, and from the United States, too. So it it it's part of the, as also Seth told, the the, the building of the nation goes parallel with the building of this museum. And, and as you
1: suggested to me uh, before we started talking, its actual physical location in the city yes. was in the courtly neighborhood, exactly. and therefore had so a pride it, of it, place that, at that moment. That's part
2: of this big project, because uh, it, it's a kind of... Uh, uh, the the empire the created a kind of narrative about power. And after the the, 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 the end of the, the imperial time when we had the, the republic.
1: Starting it, in the eighteen eighties.
2: The, the, the republic then. came in eighteen eighty nine. Right. Okay. So until then the pal the, the, the building was the palace that Don João... Was the king of Portugal went to to Rio de Janeiro, and he went to live in this big house, okay? And then he lived there, and the son and the, and the grandson living there until the republic. So after the republic, they transformed the royal palace in a museum, because the, until then the museum was in another place, in another building, far from there. So it was a a a, a way of creating a new idea of they didn't want to have a royal palace in a republic and then they decided to put the museum there. So it's a kind of a, a negotiation, past and present. Okay, And it, it's interesting because the museum during all this time, even during the, 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 the time of the royal family, they already had, a, a, I have been reading a lot of documents of the museum, they were already complaining about the abandonment of the museum from the beginning, from the day the museum was inaugurated, they were complaining that it was never what they thought it should Mm. be. So uh, even if it was like a treasure for the royal family, it was already neglected. I think it's part of the the conception uh, that uh, the the museum was not considered something really... uh, how can I tell you this? the education and, and, uh, and all uh, the science uh, produced in Brazil it eventually began moving out of the museum because in the early 19th century the museum was the only academic institution in the whole uh, country okay? so when the, the, the science began uh, enlarging in Brazil Different institutions became were created, and the museum became a, 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 an old-fashioned hmm. scientific so, place. It
1: does seem to me that, for, especially from the panel, that in many ways the history of the museum mirrors some of the developments of the history of brazil and then seth i want to turn to you because in your remarks on the panel you suggested quite nicely that there's some ambiguity that this is a a storehouse a treasure house of the nation's history but that's a history that's marked by things like racism for example so moving into the republican period you suggested that the museum actually had a rather tainted history when it comes to notions of race then at a certain moment became more a repository for democratic ideals and values Mm-hmm. And I suppose the question might be open now. I mean, it does seem striking that the museum burned down in the same period in which some people would argue democracy mm-hmm. is being burned down in Brazil as we mm-hmm. speak. So, um, But, Seth, maybe you can carry on Maritza's discussion sure. into the Republican period and into the 20th
3: century. Sure. Uh, actually, let me respond to the first question, which was about what governments owe their citizens. Yes. Defense of their basic rights as citizens. And I think that... The case of the Musée Nacional for Indigenous Peoples is particularly tragic because although it has an ugly history, as I mentioned, uh, tied up with scientific racism in the 19th century, in the 20th century, you know, the most staunchest defenders of Indigenous rights were faculty students at the museum. The museum also is a repository of tens of thousands of artifacts, of Indigenous artifacts, as well as recordings of uh, Indigenous languages, some of which uh, belong to groups that are now no longer, they're extinct. So the loss of this patrimony is devastating as um, on a cultural level, but for indigenous peoples per se, this is their history, and this is very much tied into um, the validation of many of their rights as citizens. As citizens. And this would be true for African and, diaspora
1: and, people as well, yeah. it sounds like.
3: Correct. And now in particular, as you, since you mentioned the burning down of democracy in, in Brazil, this is a very critical moment where the rights of indigenous peoples and the descendants of runaway slaves are particularly endangered, and so the loss of this sort of historical material, this references, is is tragic. Yeah.
1: Because the museum, because of its collections, potentially could be turned into a representative, a, a broader, multilingual, multiracial, multicultural mm-hmm. form of Brazilian mm-hmm. democracy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And what is interesting is that from the, the during Glass from the second half of the, 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 the 20th century because the museum from the beginning they had a very uh, they were very concerned about education okay making collections and, and, and sending collections to the schools for mm-hmm. children so this is in the first regimen, the first, regiment, the first uh, shutter of the, the museum they already had this, uh, uh, this attention to education but during the last years there was a, a, very, a huge program of education in the museum
1: bringing school children Big to the schools museum.
2: And, and, and exactly and uh, and training students because i I, was, I had students working with me because just uh, uh, working as guides in the museums uh, teenagers okay, really uh, high school students working as guides and so there was a, a very very important activity in terms of education so, and the museum is the only museum that actually has this, had this, okay? Well, I and notice you often uh, talk about it. Yeah, as, it's, the hard present, still right? to... <laughs> it's still, still but, exists. But, uh, uh, yeah. So w- what we lost is not only the collections, not only the documents and, and, and the material things, and even the, 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 all the, the research materials of all professors working there. But this connection with uh, the, the, the the public and mainly with children and uh, so young there are a civic a civic institutions dedicated to the future, yeah. Because I remember myself visiting the museum when I was a kid. Okay, so uh, and and this was so strong in my mind that I have I always wanted to go back there. And if you talk to pe- all, almost all people. Working in the museum, many people. Oh, I they remember my father yes. was to bring me there. So that there is a very emotional connection. And a multi generational connection. It yes. was a very important institution to the population of the city because of this kind of connection that people, all kinds of people, poor people used to go there. And it was the only institution open. Was it this free kind of was book. it a free institution? it was not free it was a very very small uh, tax okay but very but many people could get free entrancy for different reasons and as you, you know?
1: suggested to me earlier yeah. once having been located in the, the court district in a yeah. very fancy region yeah. uh, corner of Rio, now, in modern terms, it's in a rather sort of industrial and working exactly. class area. Exactly, yeah. Right.
2: We're, we're very working class goal for fun during the weekend. So, uh, I think that this kind of things is unique. We don't have another institution like that in, in the whole Brazil. Okay, So, we, we will not uh, build it again. It won't be replaced, right. Okay. So. Even if we build again the, 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 the building... Okay even if we build again the institution as a research institution, we will not build again you know the the magic of mm, the, yeah. the, the the institution used to have so
1: Natalia, you come at this from someone with the expertise in Peru rather than Brazil, but this obviously was an event, the burning of the museum, the burning down of the museum that that kind of probably shook latin americans concerned with the preservation of the past more generally how do you think this was received in Peru amongst scholars, museum people, even the public? What was the response?
4: Well, there was shock and horror and a lot of uh, compassion for our fellow Latin Americans. The loss is not just for Brazil. As Marisa was telling me, the collections included also Peruvian materials that were probably not available in Peru. I want to also return to the first question you mentioned on what is the purpose, what is the civic purpose of something like this museum? And I think Marisa has uh, talked a lot about the educational part, but this is also the building of identity. What does it mean to be Brazilian? I think that the museum allowed for a lot of discussion And also discussion that changed and varied very much in the 200 years of existence of this museum, created as a royal collection, very much in the vogue of other royal collections and European Mm -hmm. families that had to have beautiful things and Mm -hmm. knowledge. So that's a very interesting thing and how that varies, this uh, idea of the palace being turned into a museum has been replicated in other places. We can think of many. Mm-hmm, we can think mm-hmm. of other other cases, particularly in Europe. But in a place like Peru, which has always been the poor relation compared to Brazil, a much smaller country, but a country that shares a huge Amazonian region with Brazil, that culturally has a lot of connections with Brazil, this was particularly tragic because it also highlighted the very precarious conditions of institutions very similar to the one that burnt down in Brazil. And in the case of Peru, we have had previous experiences with fire in the National Library, and we have a a policy that is not, the state hasn't really been investing in institutions of this kind. So it did bring a lot of discussion and a lot of uh, thought.
1: So I know, Natalia, that you've been involved at the um, British Library's Endangered Archives program. You've spoken about that. But there are also, from my perspective, I know this from Southern Africa, there's a good deal of ambivalence in the Global South about these projects, which on the one hand preserve items and documentary records that are endangered by climate, by neglect, and the rest of it, but on the other hand move the repository from the global south back to the metropole, back to London, back to New York, back to Washington. At least I've heard these critiques in southern Africa. I don't know if Latin Americanists have the same dilemma. In
4: the issue of the Endangered Archives program, one of the first conditions is that the archives should not be moved. Mm -hmm. So all the the collections, the physical archives should always remain in the place of origin and it should not be Mm -hmm. moved under pretty much no circumstances. The idea of the program is to create digital copies. Mm-hmm. And the digital copies have to be held at the British Library, but they also have to be held at a na- national institution. Yeah. Well, That's one of the okay. conditions. Right. So you're not really able... So the idea of this particular program, and I can only really talk right. about that one that I know quite well... It's not well, the
1: Elgin marbles all over again. Well, right?
4: I mean, there's some of that. It's also very interesting because the the foundation that funds this, is it's it's an actual... It's called the Arcadia Foundation, and the Arcadia Foundation mm-hmm. is uh, the people who created Tetra Pak, the millionaires. They they actually fund this, and their idea behind everything, the Dangers Archer program is only a small part of this. Is that they need to have a repository of everything that exists, mm-hmm. so they have a biological aspect. They have a whole it's a whole thing about how we're going to preserve the knowledge for the future. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and one of your panelists was it you, Seth, or what? Someone suggested that. But this is going to, maybe it was,
4: it was Kirsten, yeah. Uh
1: that this would be driven by private capital. So well, this, for instance, this, this, this great is digital capital. archive of everything mm-hmm. actually will be owned by Google, just the way the visual archive of the 20th century is owned by Getty Images and one or two other uh, corporations mm-hmm. now. But it's I think not... that
4: another question we have to ask ourselves about digital archives is what is going to happen to them in 100 years and 200 yeah. years and 500 re- years will they be readable yeah. well, exactly. is the question and I how often are have. they going to be right. preserved right. because now yeah. we have a fire that happened and disappeared mm-hmm. things that you know had been collected for 200 years and that's a long time right. yeah. on some yeah. measure but it's actually not very long in another measure.
1: Well, that was my my next question and maybe my final question because we don't want to take this on too long. But So what do you see this as meaning or what kind of implications does this have for future scholars, that is for historians? And this is somewhat what Bianca was getting to at the end, although we often complain that the archive... Uh, obscures as much as it reveals and directs our attention to certain voices at the exclusion of others, we recognize when we have a disaster like this that actually there's a a huge sector of the past that has suddenly been extinguished and is no longer available to researchers. So in terms of that loss, what will Brazilianists and other scholars 50 years from now, what will they not be able to discover now that this archive and this museum and this resource and repository has disappeared from the planet. Wow. I mean, Seth, you may have remarks about no, you know, the indigenous obviously history. obviously the, or it's, uh, the, the physical history. artifacts
3: are gone, but it does create a whole new set of historical questions and problems mm-hmm. that need to be investigated. I think that's what came up very clearly, very robustly in the discussion today, that there is no real accident. There is real, no real um, natural disaster environmental fire, that there's structural reasons behind these events. And a historian will have to reconstruct the many factors that contributed to this disaster and pose new types of questions and new challenges for future generations and moving forward. Mm. But clearly there's a loss here that cannot be denied. I mean, no matter how much we want to um, think about new ways of rebuilding and ways in which civil society might be coming together, there is a physical component here of loss that is unrecoverable and that is just tragic. Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, that is just completing what he's saying, uh, that historians are used to this kind of losses. Making history is exactly try to, to bridge those gaps and to, you know, and to move move on when we cannot do something, because if you go back to the history of Greece, if you go back to any kind of, the, the you know, peasants in the medieval Europe, you have much more things we lost than things we have. Mm-hmm. So, I think what is going on now is that we are beginning to lose things close to us, mm-hmm. because those earlier periods, we already lost. So, Uh, I think it's a kind of challenge for historians to know how to manage this kind of things and and keep working. What this, uh, you know, I, I think historians are used to not having things we celebrate when we find something that's true but we're also used to the idea
1: that you know future generations will have access to more knowledge than our present generation and this this is is a reminder that that's not always the
4: case we think of the burning of the uh, library of alexandria right which is how how much knowledge that we will never ever be able to recover i mean what we know about the classical world yeah was kept in very, very various ways. I mean, recently they found the largest library in Germany, a Roman library, where they could mm-hmm. actually... And they're probably going to be able to locate pieces yeah. of, of scrolls and, and read them, maybe. You know, yeah. it's about loss, recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that Seth's point is very valuable. It's about the questions that the burning opens. Yeah. That is yeah, going to be exactly. real... about
1: preservation, about yeah. but also museums, about what and museums, and civic museums are for. I
4: yes. yes. I
2: will give you an example that what happened in Rio 20, twenty, thirty years ago, uh, we had a, a circus uh, with uh, acrobats and elephants and you know, and it burned. And it was a tragedy hundreds of people dying because the, 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 the tent fall, fell down and people were inside because they couldn't go out. So lots of people burned. Okay, what, th- This was a great tragedy but there was a group of, of, of doctors at the time that, that used to plastic surgery and they decided not only to treat people but to uh, study about burned people. And that's why after taking care of those hundreds of people in the hospital they developed fantastic methodologies of dealing with burned people. And then Brazilian uh, plastic surgeons became the top of the top in the whole world because they had this uh, tragic but extremely important experience. So uh, I'm telling you this because uh, we also talk about trauma in history. Okay, So this kind of trauma actually allowed that people jump to a, a, a different level in terms of research. So I think it's our responsibility now. That we can find people like this fantastic guy that was a very famous later became a very famous surgeon uh to try to find you know new methodologies new things and and bring things make you know new things come from this 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 tragedy and and but to do this, people have to overcome the trauma we are still living, we couldn't until now give up on, on our, you know, we are still jealous of what we lost. Mm. So we have to give up on this and share our losses and bring people from different places and, and think, and, and I think this this panel is important because of this, think what can be done. And it's not, it cannot be just me because I am too involved in, in, in the thing okay but other people come to help to exactly to the, like the burned people and use what we could rescue from the the, the fire and think, you know i could i could in my just my tiny tiny collection the only the those the things that i could recover from the fire are all iron object.
1: So you went back into the museum afterwards to recover the bits and pieces. Yeah, that the there. Yes, there is a team working there. Yeah,
2: a specialized right. team, archaeologists, and not, not me, I'm, I don't know how right. to do the thing, but right. the, the archaeologists were doing this. So I, I could recover very, very tiny but important pieces in terms of metal and also ivory. So this is a unique opportunity to Study what happens to ivory in a extreme condition. What happens to fire? What kind of technology they they had to make this kind of metal that resisted so fire? So it's an archaeology so, so of the it, present. It, yes. So you no. Know, so I I I lost the the documents I I was using to work. I lost my, the objects I was it to work. But other people using different methodologies, with a different approach, with different questions, can go back to what we could rescue from the fire and build something new.
0: That was Alex Lichtenstein, speaking with Natalia sobravia Peria, Seth Garfield, and Maritza de Carvalho-Suarez about the AHA panel, Archives Burning, the Fire at the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro and Beyond. You can listen to more episodes of this podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Find us with the search term American Historical Association. I'm Daniel Storey, and this is AHR Interview. Thanks for listening.